What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's guest is Lauren Conlon. There is a lot of people listening to this show who will know exactly who Lauren Conlon is. She is the owner of Loco Fit. She is a coach specifically in the physique world. She has also been an NPC figure competitor and an IFBB pro bikini competitor for quite a while now. Um, she has her master's in exercise science from the University of South Florida working in Dr. Bill Campbell's lab, which is well known in the physique space, which is actually one of the coolest things about that lab specifically is that they do things that are so physique oriented, which is rare because a lot of things are centered around performance or athletes or really taking studies about calories and intermittent fasting and macros and, and protein and all these things that we love to learn about. And they're testing things on sedentary individuals, elderly individuals, people who will let us study them. Essentially, it's really hard to get bodybuilders to step out of their routine and, and do something for a, a research study like hey, I want you to stop eating so much protein, follow this meal plan, and train this way because we're going to do an eight-week study. Most people who are gym rats, like myself, like probably you listening, will say, no, I'm cool. I'm going to stay in my routine because this is getting me results. So it's hard to find studies that do this. But Lauren and the people in Dr. Bill Campbell's lab do a lot of the physique science stuff, which is one of the reasons why I respect and love their content so much. Um, Specifically, one study they did, she ran on flexible dieting. It was actually one of the only ones ever done on flexible dieting, which is something we're going to dig in today, actually comparing meal plans versus flexible dieting and seeing what works better and why. And I think some of the answers that she found inside the study actually shocked her and she talks about how she had to be open-minded and learn more about this but um, what we did today is kind of jump on the podcast we have some rapport because we've hung out a few times and so we kind of just bullshitted for a while had some small talk about experiences learning coaching education we just kind of got into a, a really good conversation around all things fitness nutrition health and specifically physique science so we're going to really talk about the science but in an applicable way which i think is the most important thing because we can talk about the science of building a physique getting aesthetic results so on and so forth but if we can't apply it to a actual person if it's not applicable to real life what the hell is the point so today, Lauren and I have a great conversation taking science and making it applicable for you. I think you're really going to enjoy this. If you like the show, if you want to hear more shows like this, if this show is helping you in any way, shape, or form, please do me a favor. It's the best way for us to continue growing this show. Number one, leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. And number two, take a screenshot of the show on your phone right now. Head over to Instagram and post it on your story. Tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and tag Lauren at Team Loco Fit or at Lauren Conlon, Lauren with an I-N at the end. I'll put both of those Instagram handles in the show notes. Tag us both. Let us know who's listening to the show. We want to hear from you guys. And without any further ado, let's get on to this amazing episode with the one and only Lauren Conlon. All right, Lauren Conlon, I'm excited to have you on the show because I have been following you for quite a long time just from a uh, coach's perspective, educating myself through you, Paul Ravello, BioLane, and people like that. And then I met you in Arizona, which was awesome to actually get to hang out with you and really meet you behind the scenes, learn a little bit more about <laughs> your past, your history, um, your thing with conspiracy theories. We, we can maybe touch on that today as well. Um, but I had to say it. Uh, so, which that blew me away in the Uber. I was cracking up when you, when you brought that up. But, um, but yeah, so I'm excited to have you here. We're going to get into a lot of different topics, but let's just kind of start with um, your story, your background, you can touch on why you're into conspiracy theories if you'd like, and then we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll kind of go from there. 
it's like my new like business plan is just like talking about conspiracy theories. It's <laughs> totally kidding everybody. Um, <laughs> but they are really interesting. Like, fuck, some of them are so good. Yeah. Um, anyways, well, thank you, Cody, for having me on. Um, yeah, it was great to meet you at that event, uh, Jason Phillips Mastermind. And we had a really good time that weekend. And I, I unfortunately had to postpone this twice, but I was like, Cody, I promise I want to come on. <laughs> so really grateful to be on this podcast. I absolutely love doing podcasts. Um, so yeah, just a little bit of background on me. I have my bachelor's and master's in exercise science. Uh, my research in my master's program focused on different types of dieting and how they affect weight loss and weight regain. I am the owner of Team Loco Fit, which is an online coaching and consulting company. We work with competitors and non-competitors. I actually have a team of coaches now as well, so that has grown. Um, I've been coaching now for about five and a half years, but we're finally growing the team. Uh, I work with several companies within the industry. I travel a lot to speak and just do different events, so kind of a Really, my main focus is education, and I do that through a variety of different platforms in different ways. So that's kind of my story. I'm also a bikini pro, uh, IFBB bikini pro, and I've been competing since 2011. <laughs> so actually taking this year off, but I am still an active competitor. And yeah, I love a good conspiracy theory. I mean, who doesn't, right? <laughs> There's a lot of really good ones, and the Denver airport has an exceptional amount of them. And actually, I don't think I even told you, but when I, I went out there a few weeks ago, actually, for the first time, and um, I had never seen, you know, I'd seen the videos and stuff, but I'd never been to that airport. And I flew out to do an event, like to work with Cured that weekend. And I, I land and literally they're doing construction and there's all these signs all over the entire airport about the conspiracy theory, like making fun of it. No and way. so Ryan is like, oh, he's like, hell no. He's like, it's definitely happening now. Like if it's in like, if, it, if they're putting it out there, like they're trying to reverse psychology this shit, but they are definitely doing all this. <laughs> and even, even when you pull into the airport now, there's this huge statue, like this huge horse statue that this guy, look at it, if you watch the videos, you'll see it. He was making it and it actually fell on him and like killed him. They have this huge replica of it with like red eyes. When you're driving into the airport, I'm like, what on earth? It's a weird place, man. But um, yeah, so if you guys are ever bored, definitely watch the Denver airport conspiracy theory. <laughs> so I, just so you guys listening can understand what's going on. We, we were in the Uber. We had a few drinks after dinner with everybody at the mastermind. Um, and there was like a few of us piled in this little Uber and, I, I never actually said this to you or anybody because I, I wasn't going to say this out loud, but the driver reminded me. So my fiance, Shannon's, she loves that one movie. I think I've seen it 800 times there. Um, it's where all the girls, for the bachelorette party. It's kind of like bridesmaids. bridesmaids. Um, yeah. The one girl, she's hilarious. The heavier girl that like does the airport thing where she lifts her leg up. That's, yep. that's who the driver reminded me of, but like a little bit more on the hippie side. Like she was into it too. So she started talking to us about these conspiracy theories. Yep. We were all having a conversation and I was just sitting there learning cause I didn't know about this, but she apparently all about it. she was all about it. She had like Led Zeppelin playing in the background. It was like perfect scene and scenario, but Lauren is into conspiracy theories. So she educated me on that as well. Um, but you know, you know, I'm an educator, Cody. That's what I do. And you know what? Like just, just to give people even more context. When I met you in person, like I just have to say, Lauren's being very humble. She's extremely experienced, extremely knowledgeable. When, even when I was at the event with you, you really, you are seriously humble. And I really respect that about you. Cause you were just like, no, I'm just a normal person. And, and I will give you like, you're a lot more fun to be around than I expected. Cause you're very blunt and outgoing and stuff, but extremely smart. So let's get into that actually. Like what started, 
I guess everything like fitness, especially, but how did you go deeper and deeper? Cause I think you have to be, I always say like, you gotta be a little insane to want to do what we do at the level we do it at. Like just keep continuing mm-hmm. to learn more and more of the nuances. Like what made you get that bug and keep going? Yeah. So really kind of backtrack. Um, I grew up with an eating disorder, uh, like a lot of people who kind of get into the industry. Um, so for many years I was very anorexic and I, you know, recovered from that, but at, during that point, I saw a psychologist and an RD. So I thought, oh, this is really cool. Somebody gets paid to look at somebody else's food. At this point, I was like obsessed with food so in, a, in a bad way. But I was like, oh, wow, this is actually like a career. Um, and at the time in high school, like I really didn't know. I rode horses. I did track. Like I didn't really have like a science background. I actually took as little science classes as possible. Um, and I really wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. And so I you know, visited a few different schools, decided on Florida State um, for my undergrad. And I actually started out as a dietetics major. Um, at the same time, <clears throat> after high school, well, during high school, I'd gotten into lifting weights. Um, and I was like, wow, this is really fun. And as soon as track ended, like I was all about lifting weights. Like that was my thing. And I joined this like very meathead gym actually. And um, I thought that that was normal. It wasn't, but it was a very like bodybuilder centric gym, not even just all competitors, but people who are very interested in like that kind of a lifestyle. So I, for a few months before I went away to school, I was like in this culture of like training with the guys, like training hard every day. Like that's what we did. And it was really fun. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like this is kind of what I want to get into. I don't know how, but this is like what I want to do. And so I went to Florida State. I started my undergrad, dietetics classes, and just like the basic bullshit everybody does for their undergrad. And then once I got to Florida State, I realized that the uh, bodybuilding culture was a little bit different at a large university than it was at this gym that I went to. Um, So I still trained, you know, with the guys. At that point, I was literally the only girl who was training at the school gym, um, like lifting weights. It was very strange. And um, things have massively changed since like 2010 um but literally I was the only girl doing that with you know to train with the guys like I'd always done um but didn't really have like that bodybuilder influence uh I came home that summer and then I reconnected with those people at the gym and they're like you should do this show whatever whatever I was in like decently good shape and I dieted I didn't know what the fuck I was doing but I had my first show and I really enjoyed it um and afterwards I was like wow this is what I want to do so throughout my undergrad um, I continued to train hard, continued to learn how to eat, you know, a little bit better co- combining the dietetics background as well as the practical kind of stuff that I was either reading on my own or like, you know, again, guys in the gym, my friends. Um, and then I quickly realized that the dietetics path was not for me. Um, and I did not like how they were teaching some of the things. And now that's not every program, but that was that program. Uh, so I decided to switch to exercise science. And then I also started helping out with research. Um, so I was really interested in doing because I didn't really like that project. Um, but I liked the idea that like we were studying something and like learning about it and, and all that. So I knew when um, I was, I didn't, again, didn't know what I wanted to do necessarily. Um, but I was like, man, I really like this research thing. At the same time, so all this stuff, school, helping out with research. And then also, you know, competing in the background, I started coaching. Um, I had a coach and then somebody who was like, hey, um, can you coach me? And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I started coaching her. Um, and then I literally had like a two or three clients for like forever. And then, um, you know, a few people at my home gym back, you know, where, where my family was from 
helped them out, but it was very, very small. Like not even, I would even consider, I would call it coaching, but you know, it was just small stuff and um, nothing like I do now. Um, and, but just help almost like helping them out a little bit more for like a small fee right. <laughs> really is kind of what I'll look at it as. Um, but I was developing, you know, systems on how to do things and learning how to talk to people because that's not what you learn in undergrad as an exercise science major. Um, definitely not. It basically at Florida state exercise science is like pre-med. So it was very, very science heavy, which was awesome. Um, but it was not, um, very application friendly. So, um, but I would rather have had that for an undergrad. I think too many people try and specialize too early. That's another tangent, but I think too many people try and apply too early without understanding the basics. And I think the basics are incredibly valuable. So while I don't necessarily need bio two in my life every day, I do feel like it had value, <laughs> um, you know, for other reasons. So I'm competing. I started coaching. I'm finishing up school. I was like, I want to do a master's. I want to do a research project. At this time, I had been pretty much, I started heavily competing again my last two years in school. Um, and I was at this time actually doing figure. Um, and I, you know, was really enjoying it, but I was just not, not big enough. Um, just don't have the muscular density for figure at that time, especially being that age. So um, I did decide to make the switch when I graduated to bikini. Um, and then at this point, I had gotten into my master's program. So I knew, okay, I'm leaving Florida State. And then I'm going to move to Tampa to start that um, with Dr. Bill Campbell. So super, there's just like a lot going on at this point. And now I'm coaching a few more people, but it's still like really small potatoes kind of things. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's like a handful of clients. I don't even have a website at this point, like no website, no business card, like nothing. It's just like, hey, word of mouth, it's just a few people. Um, so I start the grad program. And then that, at the end of that semester, actually, I turned pro uh, at NPC Nationals. So after that, okay, so now like pinnacle kind of of like the, you know, MPC career is like turning IFPB pro. Started my master's and then, you know, basically Paul and Lane were like, hey, you should like get more serious about this coaching thing. I know you've been doing it, but you should be a little more serious about helping people. So made a website, got an LLC, like did the whole thing. <laughs> um, finally, after like, you know, a year and a half of just kind of like doing it. Um, so I, again, I kept it very, very small, but started picking up a few more clients. And then actually the next year is when I started my research project and that looked at, basically we looked at a meal plan versus flexible dieting and how that affected somebody's weight loss and how it affected their weight regain. So um, it was the first study ever done to really look at that. And even though my degree is in exercise science, it's more, um, you know, food, nutrition, and psych based, uh, really. So I did a lot of reading on that and really kind of dove into that and, at this point, again, I'm coaching more people, but now really I have all my subjects are like clients because I'm really talking to them when they're coming in for the testing. And I saw them five times over 24 weeks. So it was a good you know, amount of interaction and we couldn't interact with them outside of research because that's unethical because you can't give one person more attention than the other. Right. But when they were there, I was like hammering them with like questions like, you know, and at this point I'm prepping, it's like 5 a.m. I'm like dead, but I'm like, okay, I got to get the most out of this as possible. Um, so it was a really, really good experience. And, um, and then throughout all this, kind of slowly building up the clients, slowly building everything up, focusing on school, learning some more stuff. And then once I graduated, I'd basically set up the systems to take this on full time. And now I've done that ever since full time. So it's been about two and a half years full time with LocoFit. And um, I continue to help out with research at school, stay involved because I love helping out my mentor. Uh, he was like the best person uh, to ever be put in contact with, um, but I'm not physically there 
doing the research anymore. It's more just like helping out with like ideas and some of the design. I love it. That's, yeah. To be, <laughs> that was to, a lot. to be able to turn pro while doing all of that is pretty insane. I can only imagine how like, I mean, just your mindset going into prep had to be so like relentless to be able to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was, um, it was a lot because I had been basically the year before I had dieted from like March to November. And then that year also, I pretty much dieted from like March to November doing shows throughout the whole year. Um, so it was, it was, a, it was a hard two years, uh, on my body for sure. Uh, but it was definitely worth it. Obviously winning, winning the overall at nationals was pretty much the highlight of what I could have ever expected, you know, as a amateur to pro, um, but actually the hardest year was the following year when I was doing my research and I was doing my pro debut prep because I was literally getting, I would get up at four, do research from five to noon. And then I would do like my first cardio, then work out, then my second cardio, and then, you know, still do clients. It was madness. And that wasn't every week, but the weeks that we had the research and I was prepping, like, oh, good Lord. It, it, was, <laughs> it was a lot. But like I said, it, it honestly, it completely shifted my perspective. And if I hadn't have done my research study, I don't know if I would have coached. I, don't, I mean, I was coaching, but like, I didn't look at that as like a long-term thing. Right. Um, and it was very like, oh, I'm just doing this right now, but I'm not sure. And that really kind of changed my perspective and forced me to learn about human interactions, really. Yeah. So, I mean, after hearing the entire story, I have a lot of things I kind of want to pick apart. Um, the first one being like you mentioned your eating disorder, how you got really into all this. And then there's a lot of people mm -hmm. listening, whether it is anorexia or something else, they've struggled with some kind of eating disorder, body image issue, something along those lines. Pretty much everybody who has been in the industry has experienced something along those lines. How do you balance what you do now and that and what recommendations or suggestions do you give your clients? Because it's hard to be in such a physique focused industry, world, lifestyle, anything mm -hmm. when the scale, measuring food, looking at your body, especially if you're competing because you have to be very judgmental and subjective to like every little yeah. intricacy of balance and everything. How do you make sure that that doesn't get back into a bad place or bad habits? Mm -hmm. Well, first and foremost, if anybody listening or any client of mine or, or client of somebody here listening, you think is actually struggling with a true eating disorder, they need to be referred out to help because that is something that is completely out of the scope of hundred percent of coaches, <laughs> um, unless you are a clinical psychologist as well. Um, now that being said, there's a lot of disordered eating. is not an eating disorder, right? Um, I would say that a lot of people in the industry have disordered eating and that's something that you can work on with somebody. Um, now, again, if it does kind of cross that line or, you know, you can kind of spot the signs, you know, as a coach. Um, but yeah, it is very hard, especially being a female. And especially I work with most all female clients. I have some male clients actually, um, but they don't usually <laughs> deal with the body image issues. I'm usually working. Uh, most guys are either strength focused or performance focused. Um, and so they just care about that. Um, not to say that all girls, all guys are like that, but the guys that I've worked with, um, but to, for girls, it can be very tough, especially with the competitors, especially with people who are in the industry air quotes. And it really, what I try and encourage people to do, well, of course is, okay, we need to work on obviously like your self image and things like that, but really focus on things outside of just your body. I think a lot of people only look at them. If they start to look at themselves only in the light of I'm just my body, you're going to run down a really, really scary road really quickly. That's what happens when people start competing too much because they rely on that 
first of all, it's like a dopamine hit. They're addicted to competing and they're addicted to that process um, of looking and feeling good and being complimented all the time and things like that. So that's like a whole separate issue. Um, but if you only focus on competing or on just how your body looks in general, how many likes you get on a picture with your abs, then you're going to be a shell of a person probably forever. So what I try and encourage my clients to do is have things that are outside of just how they look, whether that's a strength goal or a performance goal, um, or that's even something completely outside of fitness, like self-development related, or they're, you know, into art or whatever, whatever it may be, but there's so many things you can do that are outside of just how you look specifically, um, that have really helped. That's helped to me being able to focus on things like, okay, educating myself and educating others. That's really what I primarily try and do. Yes. Like right now I'm a lot higher of a body fat percentage than I am when I compete. Does that make me less competent as a coach or an educator? No. If I'm looking at it purely from a competitive standpoint, yes, I'm not in a position to get on stage or, you know, my body or just having like ab pictures, right? Like that's not what I'm doing right now, but that doesn't take away from the other things that I've built. So I really encourage people to have like a more well-rounded approach. Um, and if I kind of sense that as, as a coach reading their updates, you know, I would say early on, probably I maybe did and didn't as much, um, but I've really kind of fine tuned experience and reading more about you know, ecology and just self-development and things like that. But it's really important for people to have something outside of just what they look like. I think it's so key, especially like, I mean, even this is crazy. I actually just had this conversation the other day. Um, I told a client to use the money they were spending on me to go find specific help on a mental level because they just needed that at the time. I was like, nothing we do is going to work anyway, because you're just at a different place. Like I'm going to cancel your contract. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. Like, um, and I think it's important for coaches to be able to understand that and do that and separate themselves if they need to and just do the right thing like that's why we're all here in the first place and it's so important like I love that you said focusing on different things especially for women because I have a lot of female clients where I really push like hey let's consider performance and other things or just get, even for like entrepreneurs listening like I have to think about hobbies and stuff because my sedation is work and it's unhealthy mm -hmm. to just work, 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 yeah. right? So I think it's super important for people to understand that and actually find things and then just have a coach. Like I'm sure even you as a coach, you probably do have a coach, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, I work with uh, Cliff Wilson. Uh, if anybody here listening, he, he's really well known in the natural bodybuilding circ like, you know, circuits. Um, and so he actually prepped me this past, we worked together since last, I would say last summer. So like a year and a half now. Um, and he's an amazing prep coach and somebody who I've become friends with over time. And he's very blunt, which I love, um, <laughs> even, possibly even more blunt than I am, um, <laughs> which is very helpful when you're getting on stage, um, which is why he produces results for clients because he literally does not care. And that's actually helped me a lot as a coach too, because sometimes, um, and it really, of course, it depends on the, the person's end goal, right? Um, if somebody's getting on stage versus losing 10 pounds, that's a completely different coaching scenario. Yeah. He only coaches clients, so he can completely focus that kind of tunnel vision that way. But it did help me a lot with my, you know, with my coaching style, um, and particularly for my competitors. And it really isn't about like, oh, what can we do? Or like, what sh it's, what is, what is it going to take? Like, what are we doing to get results? Um, and I think that's where a lot of the, there's been a lot of disconnect lately with coaching and like the science movement. Um, and then just like the whole body positive, like there's just so much going on that like, you don't really know if you're just looking at social media, like what the fuck is actually happening. <laughs> um, but some people like, oh, like you shouldn't have to do that much cardio or like, oh, I eat so much food when I prep. It's like, okay, most people listening to this 
especially if they are not this like elite genetic person, right? Who's, you know, like super lean getting on stage, you're going to have to do cardio. You're going to have to diet to like lose weight, you know? And like, that is just the reality. And so there's been this really interesting kind of turn. It was kind of like when flexible dieting started getting popular and people started like trashing clean eating or whatever, you know, I'm just using those terms. And it's kind of like, okay, well, neither is really right. And we kind of need to come somewhere in between, you know, and it, the same thing with the, you know, the dieting kind of right now, like all the rage, like, Oh, just eat 400 carbs and lose weight. It's like 99.9% mm, of people are not gonna be able to do that. <laughs> um, and then also on social media, people lie all the time. I literally have been around people who talk about eating all this food and I, I'm with them. I'm like, did you like go eat in the closet or something? Cause I've been with you all day and I haven't even seen you eat that. Like I've eaten more than you. So it's, it's so interesting, like the coaching land space. And I don't know if people just say things to like make money or whatever it is, because that's definitely a possibility. But yeah, you guys don't say things just to be like edgy, to be popular, to make a buck or to have, have a follow, whatever it is. Like that's yeah. not good. Same thing with, like you said, the, the referring out. It is unethical to coach somebody who has like some kind of a disorder, you know, and that you cannot help. Like it's... I see all these, these girls trying to do like, Oh, like basically like psychology coaching, you know? And, and I'm like, just go to a psychologist. Like if you have all these problems, like you should be going to like a, a licensed person, yeah. not like some Fitzbo. Yeah. And you know what? Like if anybody doesn't know who Cliff is, go check him out. Like his athletes are freakish. Like he gets them super lean, but what I've really liked about what he's been putting out um, I, it, it's not super recent. He's been doing this for a little while, but he'll actually share like how low people's calories get before they get on stage. And yes. it's good for people to see because nobody gets on stage that shredded eating that much food. And, and you know what? Like, I think there's obviously different scenarios. Like I have some CrossFit athletes that I would consider genetic freaks, um, because they mm -hmm. are eating 400 carbs and they are pretty shredded, but their training is also on a completely different level. Completely different. And it's just different. Like it's not bodybuilding. It's not getting lean for the purpose of getting lean. They're performing and yeah. that's their main goal. So I think it's important for people to yeah. understand that. Um, but Cliff did a really good job of putting that out there and showing people like, if you're going to get this lean, like there's a lot of grinding to it. Yeah. This year he did a lot of those like posts kind of like for like a week or whatever he like shared a lot. Um, and people don't want to see that, you know, but or, or they do want to see it, but then they're like, Oh, I don't know. And it's like, no, it's going to suck like a lot. And even, even not just competitors, even just regular dieting. Like if it took you a certain amount of years to get where you are, it's not going to get fixed in 12 weeks. Like, I'm sorry. It's just not. And you know, some coaches try and sell the dream. It's not the reality. And I'd always, I'd always rather manage people's expectations and actually set them up properly versus trying to lie to somebody and say, Oh yeah, we can do that. No, we can't. We're, we're just not going to. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it should be, Hey, what, where can you be in a year or two instead of like, what can we do in eight weeks? Like the eight week goal is great, but the two year goal is more important. And every action that you take should be towards that long-term goal. If you actually want to sustain your results, which is really the key to all of our coaching. I mean, I have some coach, some clients that I've coached for years and Usually I would say that that is more competitors, but sometimes I have lifestyle clients who really just want the accountability um, and we kind of just work through different periods. Um, but that really speaks to certain things. Like it's, it, you know, certain people are, like you're not just going to make progress and then just be able, you know, in this 12 week program, like what happens after that? <laughs> so yeah, I just did a huge podcast on nutritional periodization. And that was like the whole concept is like, what's the diet after the diet, you have to consider these things. And like, yes, if you have a goal for a year away to get like generally lean, 
it's going to suck less, but part of dieting means you're going to be hungry at times or like have to go to the gym when you don't feel like going to the gym and, and doing extra cardio. Like that is part of it. So I'm so happy to hear somebody at your caliber actually talk about this because too many people assume it's just going to be so simple and it's, it's not always easy, but that's part of why it makes us grow as a person too. Like there is grit inside of it and that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing at all. Um, I do want to touch on uh, flexible dieting a little bit more because you brought up your thesis, your schooling on that. What was, can you dig into like what you found in the study and how you've actually applied that into coaching so people can kind of take away like what they should know about flexible dieting? And, and you kind of mentioned it for a sec. Like, I think there's good parts of if it fits your macros, like understanding our budget system and everything. And then there's also very bad parts of it where people take it way too far. And then the same exact thing with whole 30 and, and, uh, paleo dieting and stuff like that. So where do you stand now? And what did that study teach you? So first, so we looked at, like I said, it was either a flexible dieting group or a meal plan group, and this was completely randomized. Um, So some people um, who had been tracking macros happened to go into the meal plan group. Some people who had no idea how to spell a macro were put in the macro group. Obviously, we gave them specific education. Again, in a research study, people don't really, like you can't coach somebody, right? Because that's unethical because you could coach someone more than another and then that could skew the results. So we had to say, hey, here are your macros. And then here's a how to track macros book guide. And then for the meal plan, obviously it's pretty self-explanatory. Here's a meal plan. Follow it. (laughs) Um, That was created by a registered dietitian. And then the macros, you know, we created based on the deficit that we were looking to create. So it, what I really found actually was, so going into this, I had no expectations. I didn't know what we were going to see. But honestly, a lot of people thrived on the meal plan which I was not necessarily expecting. Um, but that was mostly because I had been coming from, again, that kind of science camp where I'm like, oh, like flexible dieting is the only thing you can do. And that's everybody that I knew was talking about that. And like, oh, meal plans are stupid. And so for somebody who's been, you know, tracking their food and things like that for maybe four years, yeah, they probably don't need a meal plan. But if somebody's starting out on their fitness journey, that might be really, really helpful or not even such like a super strict meal plan, but like a lot of meal, like a little bit more guided suggestions, right? Like here are your numbers. And like, here's how I would fit these, you know, numbers in here. I don't create meal plans because I'm not an RD, but I have basically one of my big things from this is I started coaching more on food selection and food choices because I started to realize that some people either didn't know kind of what to do or they were maybe using less stellar choices. So with my coaching, I've, most people who come to me are a little bit more advanced. So they already kind of understand either what macros are or they understand tracking in general. We need to obviously fine tune it, but it's not like somebody, like the people in the study, some people have no idea about that at all. So it is a little bit of a different population, but I did take away from it like, wow, you know, we did see, you know, a lot of positives from this meal plan where we didn't necessarily, and I asked the people, again, I was like grilling them, like, why did you see this? Like, how did you feel? What was this like? And they basically said, like, I didn't know what to eat before. And now I knew what I should eat and the kind of poor study during the study and then afterwards too. And after the study, I was like, oh, well, maybe they're going to like, maybe they're going to completely fall off because now they don't have the meal plan, right? But the people who thrived on the meal plan who didn't know what they were doing before thrived afterwards because they still were like, oh, I can make these substitutions, but now I actually know how much I should be eating and like maybe what I shouldn't have. So like 
if I'm going to get tacos, maybe I should get like more veggies and like not sour cream, cheese and guac, right? Like make some better choices. Um, so they inadvertently learned a little bit more that way through just educating themselves on portion sizes and things like that. Um, so that was really like the biggest takeaway that I saw was like, okay, both of these can be used in really powerful ways at different points in people's careers. And then like, likewise, some people who were put on the macro plan, I mean, the meal plan plan <laughs> who um, had been doing macros before were like, oh, I don't need to do this. Like, this is so stressful. Like, I don't need to like, w- like whatever. I'd rather go back to macros. So at some point, like certain people, I will say graduate, right? But then other people like don't want to be tracking macros for the rest of their life. So um, understanding portion sizes and things like that was really powerful. So overall, we learned a lot. Um, there weren't really many differences actually with anything. The only statistical difference, which was actually, you know, significant, was the flexible dieting group um, had more lean body mass gains afterwards. This could have been a fluke. It might not have been. Um, potentially there was less of a stress response. So they actually could, you know, see the gains that they were, you know, the gains are basically presented from training better. We're not really sure because everything else was no difference that we looked at. And there was no differences when we calculated afterwards, the protein levels they were reporting because after the diet, we didn't control what they were eating. So, Mm -hmm. but they had to report to us what they were and there was no differences. So again, not really sure, but everything else was no difference. So um, and we looked at, we used a psychological questionnaire looking at um, food behaviors. We did salivary um, leptin, which didn't work at all. So if anybody's listening, don't do that. Um, salivary cortisol works pretty well. Salivary leptin does not. Um, so we saw no differences on anything because we, there was like no results. Um, but then there was all the other measurements like RMR, the body composition. There was no other changes besides that one. Um, so really it kind of speaks to do what works for you. And at certain points, right? So even like for somebody like myself who has air quotes macros, I will technically put myself on a meal plan when I'm dieting almost just because it's easier and I don't have to think about it. And I can just, you know, eat the same foods, prep them and be ready to go. Now, other times I use more flexibility in what I'm eating just because of I travel a lot, right? And there's a lot going on that way. So I think it's incredibly valuable for people to understand what's in their food and really understand portions. So if you do that through either a meal plan or tracking macros or both, I think that, you know, you're going to, you're going to win at the end of the day because you need to understand how much you're eating. Even if it's not perfect amount, you need to understand like roughly like what are portions, um, particularly with protein. Most people do not eat enough protein unless they're, you know, bodybuilders um, or they actually go out of their way to do that. Like if I'm eating out, usually I have to like order like double meat or something like that, or just, you know, be aware of what I'm eating or, oh, hey, like if you go out to breakfast, right? Like most stuff comes with two eggs. Well, that's not enough to hit a leucine threshold or how much I'm eating for my goals. So I can either supplement with a protein shake or I can just ask for more eggs or more egg whites on the side. That's something that most people wouldn't even think of because they, they wouldn't know. They oh, I'll have the eggs and the toast and the hash browns and then the butter and the, and that's all great. But making sure that you have enough protein is also incredibly important. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but I wanted to just remind you that one of the biggest things about the boom, boom performance movement is free content. We are literally here trying to change the world. And part of doing that is trying to give away as much free shit as possible. Literally, we want to educate the world on how to live a better life from our physical body to our mental sanity. We want to work with everybody possible and help them 
get educated on what it means to have proper nutrition, smart training, and live a healthier lifestyle to improve every aspect of their life. And part of that is giving away as much free content as possible, as well as offering some really cool stuff to you guys, the listeners, the followers, the subscribers, whoever is listening to the show right now. So I want to remind you that we have tons of ebooks. We have the membership site. We offer coaching. We give away free seminars. We do so much stuff, and all of it can be found at boomboomperformance.com slash content. Or you can click the first link you see in the description of this podcast on iTunes or wherever else you're listening to it. Now, without any further ado, let's get back to the podcast. Was that what you were looking for? Yeah, 100%. And I think the, <laughs> I was the like, big- that was a little... The big key there, though, is like for people to realize is it's all individual, right? Like there is no one answer. And this is it's awesome because you come from a flexible dieting background who somebody who preaches, believes in, uses macros focused meal planning, I guess you could call it nutrient planning. And then you come into the study and realize like, oh, okay, maybe it's not just one size fits all. And I think that's really important to have that open mind. The next thing I kind of wanted to get into is, you, you know, you started in a it sounded to me like a, I want to say it's called powerhouse, but like a, like a, almost like a Metroflex style gym, like kind of grungy guys, mm-hmm. bodybuilding, stuff like that. And then you went into this science realm, which I think is very important. And I think it's good because there's still a lot of, and actually I really want to get your take on this because you're actually in the research and I'm not, but you know, there's still a lot of like, quote unquote, bro science out there that I feel like has not gotten any research done upon but for some reason is still prevalent and it's still working some of the stuff so I just kind of want to get your take on like how much bro science you still use how but like what you wish would be studied more than like how the experience Mm -hmm. of being in both worlds has applied to your coaching today yeah so super super great question and something that I you know kind of talk about or think about a lot so a lot of times it's so funny um you know we all everything's kind of cyclical right and at one point you think like, oh, everything is X or then everything is Y. But it really is kind of a combination of both. And I will tell everybody this because I've been in research. I've done my own study. And again, it was only one study, but I've you know, talked with people who have done many studies. And at the end of the day, you will never be able to get all of the specific research that you want done on body composition, um, let's say for competitors or any competitive athlete. Because one, the studies are usually never long enough because that's just the way that academia works. My study was like extraordinarily long, like 24 weeks for a, um, for a university-based study is extremely long. Now, if you're talking about like an NIH-funded study, that might be a year or two or whatever if they're just tracking people. But if we're talking about like people coming into a lab and you're doing research, like for the most part, they are eight, 12-week studies because that's how semesters work. <laughs> um, and that's how you know, collegiate research has to be done. That's where most right. research is being done. So there's a huge issue with time. Um, there's also the IRB. So you have to, like, we barely got my study passed because it was air quotes new. So a lot of people may or may not be even doing things that are like new and maybe progressive or challenging. Um, you can't, I, I don't think honestly, and, and I could be wrong, but nowadays the IRBs are very stringent. So if you wanted to put somebody on a super, super restrictive diet, who is a normal body composition, the IRB is going to go, hmm, this is a little skeptical. So you'll see very low calorie, which is typically 800 calories or less studies done on obese people. And obviously that population needs to diet, right? When you're saying, hey, we're taking normal lean athletic people and we're dieting them as hard as we can, the IRB kind of goes, ah, that's a little weird. Um, so generally you can only really get kind of case studies out of that. And then lastly, and most importantly, 
I don't know many competitors who are willing to put themselves through a research study um, <laughs> simply based on the researcher saying, hey, uh, this is what we're doing. And most athletes go, mm, no. I mean, even myself, like you have to think, okay, what is going to be the most optimal for my performance and the end goal? So the researcher is not going to be somebody who is, you know, your coach, right? Like making changes every week. Um, and that would be like, again, just not very practical for a study. So I think there is a lot of great things that research can show us, but there are a lot of obvious drawbacks. Um, and I don't think that all bro science is bad. There's some stuff, okay, pretty dumb. Tilapia does not thin your skin. Like it's, <laughs> it's not happening. But what I've actually realized a lot of bro science is, is not necessarily that the end point is incorrect. It's what they're saying is doing it. So tilapia is a very low calorie, low fat fish. A lot of people will switch from higher fat options, more calories to a very low calorie, low fat option that will thin your skin because there is less body fat there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're not wrong, air quotes, but the way about it, the way around it is wrong. Um, the same thing with all the rage like for a few years with, you know, the evidence-based movement was doing only hit cardio. And practically that does not work for physique-based athletes in a calorie deficit. I don't care what anybody says. If you've been 10% body fat, or if you're a guy like 5% body fat on, you know, 1200 calories, you're not going to be pumping out hit cardio very effectively, right? The hit sessions are going to be very, very damaging. Your workouts are going to go to shit and you're absolutely not going to recover. And there's a huge incidence for injuries. So all of the hit-based research is not done in a dieting population and not done in a physique-based population. So if you are somebody who is in a maintenance or surplus calories and you're just looking to get in good shape in a short amount of time, awesome. Hit is the jam. In my opinion, if you are a um, you know, physique-based athlete, it is less optimal. Now, do I still use HIT for my clients? Yes. Do I use it as much as I used to? Hell no. I used to use it like, oh, we just got to do more HIT. And because that's what I was being told to do. And that's what I was being taught. And then I realized over the years, like, man, this is really beating me up. Like my training sucks. I'm always getting like banged up in the gym. And this year, actually the past two seasons, I've done exclusively steady state cardio. Now, this is because I've also been hurt. So I can't really do hit as effectively and I've still gotten as lean. Um, so the bros always said, Oh, do, you know, steady state, you know, list cardio. It works. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what their reasoning was. Um, but it's not that, you know, so I think again, it kind of people take things out of context. And, um, now I would also say that, you know, some people, depending on their training, the hits, you know, more helpful than other, like some people just love doing hit. And some people's training like can accommodate it. And then other people's like, no, if they're like really training hard and they're in a super deficit, like the steady state is like the way to go. So I, I would say that some bro science is uh, definitely like all out wrong. But I would say that some of it is right, but the, what they've said, why it works might not necessarily be right. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely um, and does. the other thing too is like bodybuilders have been eating like a lot of protein, like super high protein diets and for a really long time. And then a lot of the, a lot of the science was like, well, this is fine for, this is fine. Like lower protein is fine. 
well, what's optimal? So we've actually done a decent amount of research now um, is coming out and showing that pretty much if you eat more protein, the chances of it being stored as body fat are fairly low and the chances of it being stored as lean muscle mass are fairly high. Um, so there's about four studies that I can think of right now. And one of them was done in our lab and all the girls were resistance training. Um, they were not competitors, but they were like air quotes interested in it. So they had been working out, you know, and they were interested in training for, you know, something like physique based. And we basically, they were no changes in overall calories. One group just had either the lower protein group or then the one group was higher protein and the higher protein group did end up eating more calories per day. It was a few hundred calories extra, but they only gained lean body mass and no fat mass. So again, the reason if we had, if bodybuilders had waited around forever for there to be a study that showed that, well, you might not have been making as optimal, you know, muscle gains and muscle maintenance as possible. But like, for example, Cliff is huge on protein. Like Cliff is like a high protein guy through and through. And he's like, I don't need a research study to show this. It works in my clients and it works for me. And now they're finally research to show it. So I think it really just kind of depends on what we're talking about. Um, if it's harmful or not, of course, that's the most important thing. <laughs> um, don't do something if it's harmful, but, um, yeah, there's a lot, I would say that science has yet to show and it could be definitely hard to show. Um, but there are, there is more research coming out with, at least with our lab at USF is very, very physique focused. Um, we're actually getting a whole concentration just in like physique stuff. Like that's the goal end goal. Um, is to have more physique-based classes. And the first, we actually, Campbell taught the first physique-based class last year, like first physique science class at our school, which is, that would not have happened a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's super cool. And we're actually doing, they're, they're doing right now a, um, yes, we did that protein study. And then last year there was a, um, a refeeds study because that hasn't been out yet either. Like a double refeeds or just straight calories the whole time. Now they're doing a recovery diet study. So there's a lot of really cool stuff coming out of the lab. And and it, you know, it takes time and they're small populations, but it's, you know, trying to bring science and application really together. I love the way you finished that. And that's what I was going to say is it's important for people listening to understand, like, you're a great example because you're in the labs, but it really does come down to understanding the science with an open mind and unbiased opinion, but then also using your experience. So things can be applicable because like you said, it takes so long, like, I know multi-day refeeds have been practiced. I've been doing them. Eric Helms made them popular. Like a lot of people have done this for a long time because they work. It just, there's not a ton of research to show it. So I'm glad that they're starting to come out with these things and they will continue to. So if you're sitting around waiting for those to happen, it's, it's just, it's too long of a, a process to be successful as a coach. And, and you kind of went the direction I wanted to go with the protein too, because we had uh, Dr. Jose Antonio on and I thought he beat this. Yep to death, but I still get this question all the time, like how much protein is okay. And then we kind of have like two camps where it is kind of bro-ish, but people are okay going even above a gram per pound, which is totally fine. And it's probably beneficial in many situations. And then there's people that swear by going over 0.8 grams per pound is going to hurt you or cause kidney issues, so on and so forth. Oh so I was going to ask you that. So I'm glad you brought it up, but I'm curious, like, <laughs> where is your range? Cause like people ask me and I'm like 0.8 to 1.5 and it's like this huge range. And I'm like, it's so individual yeah. depending on the person and where they're at. But I'm curious of your, your point and where you stand. And I've also heard that about Cliff. So I'm assuming that you're kind of in the same camp. Yeah. So I definitely would say that my range is for most people, um, one to 1.3. I find that 1.1 to 1.2 is kind of the sweet spot for most people. 
Um, now there's definitely considerations. If a client comes to me and they're eating very low protein, it's nearly impossible to say, Hey, you're eating 30 grams a day. Why don't you do 180 next week? Like not going to happen. But our goal, if our goal is, you know, to we're coaching, we're going to bring that up over time. Um, so if you're starting really low, get to a higher level and then slowly bring up from there. If you've already been eating a decent amount of protein, um, kind of, you know, either stay there or bump it up. Um, as I reverse diet people, um, usually most people think of reversing as adding only carbs or protein or both. Um, I mean, sorry, carbs or fats. Um, what I do every few weeks, not every week, um, is maybe bump up protein a little bit too. So over time, we're kind of reversing and adding in a little bit of protein as well. And I found that to be very beneficial for me last off season. And I've worked up to a very high intake. And again, from people like, you know, Jose Antonio and, you know, Campbell, we've seen that higher protein levels can help with lean body mass. And uh, for, you know, natural females, that's pretty much the hardest thing to do is to build muscle mass. <laughs> so I'm, you know, trying to do everything I can for myself and my clients to get that in. Now, the hardest consideration is if you are vegan or vegetarian. Mm -hmm. So first thing first, if you are vegan or vegetarian, know that your protein sources are not as optimal. They are lower quality protein sources. So they do not have all the essential amino acids in the amounts that animal proteins do. So I would say that for those clients, it's important to have high protein, like as high as they can. A lot of people who are vegan or vegetarian eat very low protein, which is, is like terrible because their protein sources are already lower, you know, lower um, quality. So eating as high as you can, and then also that's where supplementation really comes in handy with either you know branch chains or essential amino acids because you're really kind of missing those uh, with the plant-based protein. So a lot of people say, oh, I'm plant-based, I can't eat a lot of protein. Yes, you can. I have clients who I work up to you know, decently. I have a client who's been on 160, 170 grams for you know, we've worked together for a very long time and she gets done every day. <laughs> so it's possible. Um, it's just, you know, a little bit of planning and understanding the sources because of course the carbs and fats play a role with the, you know, vegan vegetarian sources where that's not really the issue with, you know, plant-based, uh, animal-based diet. Yeah. I'm actually glad that you brought up the bringing up protein during reverse. Cause I haven't heard anybody talk about that, but that's something I do. Um, specifically if we're talking about, uh, I don't know what the right term would be, I guess, bioavailable or just like more beneficial mm -hmm. protein, like animal protein sources, right? Where like you, you mm -hmm. mentioned the leucine threshold. So like two examples I can think of is a female who's very light to hit her body weight, even in protein, she might not even be getting close to the like MPS or that leucine threshold or for mm -hmm. somebody who's reverse dieting and we're bringing their carbs up, but not their protein. Now they're getting so much protein from oats and things like that, that their protein per meal isn't hitting yeah. that threshold threshold as well so um can you touch exactly. on that is that something that you implement as well yes so i actually previously i had never really changed protein that much when reversing people and that was something that i picked up from cliff was that as you know every once in a while we would add protein and i was like oh this is really interesting and and i asked him and he said mainly you know he just sees that you know clients really benefit from it metabolically um but also just from a muscular standpoint and i'm you know don't have that much muscle mass but also I don't know why I didn't think of this before, because as, you know, as your body weight increases, especially if you're reversing out of a diet or especially out of a show, um, you know, it's really important to bring that up as well. So some people will say, oh, in the off season, you don't need as much protein because you have enough calories. 
yes, that is part of that is true. But if your body weight is going up and your goal is to maximize how much muscle you can gain, I would say that it's very important for that to go up. Now, another consideration that a lot of people don't talk about is when during the diet. So I initially started off typically wherever we were for the off season and I try and maintain as high of protein as possible during the diet. Now there's two times where I drop it. One, if somebody has dropped a significant amount of body weight and they are just having like whatever, maybe some digestive issues or whatever it may be, or they just significantly dropped a lot of weight, it might not be as appropriate to have that there. And then also sometimes when you got to cut calories, like you just got to cut calories and they got to come from everywhere. So that is the last place that I drop calories is from protein. But if we started, you know, at 185 grams and, you know, originally you were maybe 150 pounds and now you're 120, well, maybe you don't need that much, right? So that's kind of where we start dropping it down over that time period. Um, but that's really the last thing I consider is dropping protein, but sometimes calories just got to go. And that, that's really just for a competitor. Um, I wouldn't say that that is applicable really for lifestyle um, yeah. as much. hundred percent. I think that's huge and super important for people to hear while we're on this topic of kind of like bro science versus science and stuff. I want to get just your overall thoughts on macros versus micros. Cause it's always a conversation in, mm. inside my Facebook groups, inside the podcast, people asking about the specifics of like how much you need and what one, like how much focus should be in each department. Like, can you get away with just macros? Do you have to focus on micros? Like if you eat great whole foods, do you even have to track? Like, I just want to get your thoughts and opinions on this and, and yeah. where they both sit into your practice. Mm -hmm. So. First, unless you have like the macros from the gods, <laughs> you need, like just the most obesogenic diet you can imagine, like high fat, high carb, you're going to have to put some effort into what you're eating, right? Um, and I don't care what anybody says. Um, you know, obviously macros are a free target every day, but I, you know, you have to somehow fit things in there, right? You can't just sit around and eat like a slob all day. Like that's not going to fit your numbers most likely. Now, do some people try and eat just whey protein, egg whites, and like Pop-Tarts? Yes, there are people like that. I absolutely 100% do not recommend that. <laughs> um, for body composition goals, strictly body comp, we're not talking about health, you can most likely get away with, air quotes, more junk um, if you are training really hard, right? just because of you know energy demands, energy needs. But just because you lost a few pounds of body fat does not necessarily mean that you are healthy either. <laughs> um, there are a lot of reasons outside of just your physique goals to eat healthful micronutrient dense foods. Um, and two people who do a really, really great job at talking about this are Dr. Rhonda Patrick and Dr. Peter Tia. Both amazing resources, both highly educated people, um, Peter T is an MD, Dr. Ron Patrick is a PhD, um, but they're both uh, incredible resources for mo more micronutrient rich kind of focus. Um, and, but their focus is 100% health and longevity, not necessarily like body comp, right? So you kind of have to blend it both because they're not going to say, oh, eat that much protein, right? Like, because they don't necessarily care about that. You don't need that for longevity and health. <laughs> um, but I do think also the one thing that people notice when they do switch to more whole, healthful, micronutrient rich foods is one, they do feel, they feel better. They look better. Their skin, you know, your skin looks better. Your organs function better. Like your, your body is just 
function at a higher level. And you're also usually more satiated. Um, so I find a lot of times when people have too much, we'll just call it shit in their diet, <laughs> whether it's, you know, artificial stuff or it's just packaged stuff, they, they're never really as full. Um, and I also find that um, people generally make a little bit more progress when they're eating more whole foods. And this is strictly, I believe, because packaged anything has, a, has an error, okay? Like packaged food is allowed to have high levels of error um, and they can't necessarily, like you don't know exactly what's in that, right? So not like it's, you know, crazy, but there, there's, I can't remember the allowance, but there is allowed to be a, it's like 20 or 30% difference yeah. on the label. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's a pretty shocking number. It's not like, yeah. Oh, there's 3%. Like it's like, okay, 20% is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would say that most people find better results, especially when they're dieting in that instance, because they are being more precise. Like a sweet potato is always going to have the same macros as a sweet potato. Um, but if you're having some packaged thing with like a mix of whatever, it just, it's just not as well. Also, there's other things like digestion, you know, that's impacted too by the foods that you eat. Um, how much, you know, like what does your gut microbiome look like? That's impacted by the foods that you eat. And that really affects everything. Hormone levels, that's affected. Um, so it's, it's definitely like you can really go down the rabbit hole with it. And I don't think that you, people should only focus on macros. Now, that being said, I do not think that that should be thrown out the window. Only eating air quotes, nutrient dense food does not necessarily mean that you're going to have the physique goals that you want, right? You can still get fat eating healthy food because what some people call healthy food, even though it's micronutrient rich, if they don't understand the portions that are associated with it, you can easily add a lot of calories, right? Um, so I can vastly overeat my calorie needs just on healthy food, right? Like does anybody have avocado toast? Uh, yeah, <laughs> like just in, right? Like avocados, olive oil, you know, a good piece of toast and some eggs, like there's a lot of calories in that. Like, yes, is that, that's a healthy choice. Um, but you have to know how much and what you're eating. So it, it really is, um, there's no straight cut answer, but I would say that I have people generally like tiers of things. Okay. Macro being able to be in the macronutrient ratios that are beneficial for your body type. Some people do better with carbs and people do better with fats, um, having enough protein, and then kind of having that 80-20 rule with like quality food to, you know, some maybe less, less ideal choices because yes, we all want, everybody wants to eat and indulge in, you know, certain kinds of foods and that's why they're tasty, right? Like they, we want to eat them. Um, so I don't think that you need to be like a clean eating, like zealot, crazy person, like and have orthorexia. But I do think that focusing on micros is very important. So I like the 80-20 rule just because it allows to have a little bit more flexibility. Um, and, but then at the end, it's so hard because some people, like what some people consider healthy, other people don't consider healthy, right? Like some people are like, oh my God, like red meat is going to kill you. Newsflash, it's not. But some people think that, right? So they'd be like, oh my God, you're eating that burger. That is the worst thing that you could possibly eat. And I'm like, no, it's red meat with tons of micronutrient, probably the most micronutrient rich meat that you can eat is red meat. Absolutely. Um, so if, if you're looking for like bang for your buck, definitely go for red meat. Um, and if we really want to talk about it, chicken has probably, unless you're getting like the most frou-frou ass chicken that like you saw somebody raise, like there's the most shit in chicken as far as like, you know, the injectables and whatever. So, mm -hmm. right. Like some people would say, Oh no, chicken's the best thing. Oh no, beef's going to kill you. Like, so like there's a lot of issues with what people consider good and healthy. 
I would say, yes, micros are incredibly important. Supplementing with micros is also important because most of us are not getting what we need in our food supply. Um, and that's just kind of the reality based on the variety that we're eating, where we live, how the soil practices are nowadays. Um, and then, yeah, have, leave a little bit room to indulge. Like, trust me, I love my ice cream. I love my dessert, like that kind of stuff. Like everybody wants to enjoy that, you know? Um, and that's where macros really do shine because if you just said, yeah, if you told me I could eat ice cream every day and not track it, or, you know, now that I've tracked it for a while, I kind of have an idea of, okay, these are X amount of servings. I'd eat the whole carton. Like, I'd, oh, okay, this is fine. I'll eat it. So that's where do macros do shine, right? Like, hey, you can have this, but, you know, maybe have only like two or three servings instead of 16. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's like, you, there's that whole like hyper palatability thing, right? Because like intuitive eating, quote unquote, I can intuitively eat a whole pint of Ben and Jerry's pretty damn easily. But mm -hmm. if I have macros as a budget, it actually helps me intuitively fit in a half a pint instead. So I can actually do so. Um, and, and even with healthy foods, you said avocado toast, which my fiance eats all the time. I'm not mm -hmm. a huge avocado toast guy, but like sweet potato with grass fed butter, both very healthy things, but I can't eat that much just plain sweet potato and I couldn't eat a ton of just plain butter, but put those together and I can go way over my macro limit because yeah. the combination is just amazing. But, and I think it comes down to kind of what you mentioned earlier of like the bro science being right, but not for the reasons they thought it was right. Like if we talk about food labels yeah. being off these like old school bodybuilders only ate quote unquote clean foods in their macros and they got way better results. But it's really, it's because they were doing just as much work tracking their macros with whole foods as you were tracking your macros with mm -hmm. Chipotle, the difference was their macros were actually accurate. And so they got better results. Right. So I yeah. think that's a really good piece of information that you kind of put out there about the food labels. Cause a lot of people don't realize how off they are. And I was actually pretty shocked when I heard, I want to say it's 27 percent as well. Yeah. That's what I feel like. That's the number that I've, I've heard consistently is like 20 something. And it really is alarming. And like, there's sometimes, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but um, say you buy something that you like, like a lot and you like, you know, you know what's in it. And then another time you'll be like, wait, I feel like this label is different. And that happens all the time. And it's like, whoa, that's scary. So when people tell me, oh, I'm eating XYZ every day on prep, I'm like, oh, well, let's take that out and let's just see what happens. Right. And, you know, sometimes nothing happens, but sometimes it's like, whoa, that magically changed. And then sometimes with all these like fake diet foods, there's all these like weird fibers and weird sugars. And some people just don't respond to that. Like some people have no problem whatsoever. Other people, literally it's like you put a bowling ball in their stomach if they have too much of, you know, whatever. So it really is individualized. Um, but ultimately what I would say is just, just don't eat like an asshole all the time. You know, I mean, make pretty good choices most of the time. Um, and then that allows you a little bit more flexibility. And then of course, depending on what your goals are right now, really kind of dictates that as well. If I'm dieting or it's a show prep, things are going to be a lot more serious than maybe right now when I'm just trying to kind of roughly maintain. Right. Um, and you know, you have to take that into consideration as well. So if you're complaining that you're not making results and really kind of take an inventory of like, okay, what are you eating? How much is it? Um, you know, even the time, I mean, timing people like, that's another, you know, bro science thing or air quotes, bro science thing too, um, is, you know, people used to talk all the time about meal timing and then now people don't, you know, the science group, oh, it doesn't matter. Just eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Well, why wouldn't you try and optimize that as well? Is that the most important thing? No, but can that be helpful? Yes. Particularly with protein. I mean, that's pretty, even in the science, like literature, that's pretty well documented is that multiple protein feedings throughout the day is going to be better suited than just, you know, one or two large boluses. Um, I would say that if it's 
if it's that or nothing, then that's still going to be more helpful. But breaking up meal timing, especially with protein, is going to be important. So it's all kind of like on a hierarchy. You mentioned Eric Helms. Um, he has an ama- he has two amazing resources: the Muscle and Strength Pyramids, one for nutrition, one for training. And Eric is somebody who I highly respect and look up to. He's been in the game for a very long time as both a coach, athlete, and you know now he has a P- he has like three degrees. But <laughs> um, so he's somebody who I would highly recommend. Um, checking out his information if you're not familiar with um, those books or any, he's been on like a million podcasts. I mean, he yeah. just has a lot of information out there. Yeah. I've mentioned him quite a bit times and, and I'm pumped because like everything you're saying, I is in line with what I preach all the time too. So it's nice to have somebody that's again in the labs, in the research, doing this stuff, saying the same thing. And it's in, it's refreshing because you're not dogmatic. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, you have to have an open mind. There's so many things inside of nutrition and training that we can take pieces from and build our own route or path with because they're all just tools and metrics that we can use depending on the person we're using them with because everybody's different so really really happy that you're going about it this way um i know we're wrapping up on time i could probably keep talking about this shit for another three hours but i do have two (laughs) more questions for you one is a personality question and then one is kind of just summarizing everything um and that's what are the you you mentioned a couple times and you mentioned to me in arizona and i thought was really cool you've had some even people who compete throughout the years on shows clients who have been with you for over a year, two years, whatever it may be, a long period of time, which is says a lot about you as a person, as a coach. And I'm just curious, what are the like, maybe just one or up to three similarities that you see in these most successful clients? Mm, that's really good. Um, I would definitely say that people who are in it for the long haul are very serious about their goals, right? Um, they are you know, they're not like, Oh, I want to do this one day. And then oh, I want to do this the next day. Like they're very clear cut and the goals can change, but like their ultimate goals are, are pretty, are pretty etched in stone. Like, so I would say that, you know, they're very goal driven people. Um, they're also, how do I phrase this? They're very realistic. So uh, I think they're realistic and coachable. So I think some people, um, who aren't necessarily coachable come in and they're like, yep, well, I've been fucking around for 10 years, but let's, let's give this 12 week program a try. And you know, we better fix all of this in 12 weeks. No. And I kind of alluded to that earlier, but the people who are in it for the long haul understand like, okay, you know, I'm very realistic with my goals. I've done X, Y, Z before. So that's why we need to do ABC now together. And I'm going to be coachable through this process. Um, because I'm, you know, not dogmatic and I am empathetic. We do work through things. So my clients are always feel like they can talk to me and be open with me so we can actually get, you know, the responses out. So the people who are the most coachable in that sense um, are the ones who really succeed. So I would say that those are really like the top things with people. Like they know what their goals are. They're realistic about where they've been and where they need to be. And they're also coachable and open to try new things. I, you know, I'm always trying to learn new things. And over my five and a half, almost six years of coaching, I have learned a tremendous amount. And some things have been steadfast and some things change. And then for some individual clients, things change too. Like, hey, we did this last time, but I think this might be better this time around because of this. Let's try it. And people who are coachable are, you know, and they, you know, people who trust me, of course, are open to doing that. And so if there's something new that I think that can help the client, Um, I obviously bring it up to them immediately and I try and implement it. And the people who are coachable through that, um, really make the best progress. 
I think the biggest thing for people listening to understand with that is that you didn't just name a strategy or a method or they follow an upper lower split. Like it had nothing to do with anything like that. It was all (laughs) like personal traits and openness to grow. Like that's the biggest Mm -hmm. thing. And I think that's super important for people. And I think that goes uh, with the same as coaches, right? Like same exact concepts apply to coaches who have goals. So I love that. Um, The last question I have for you is something I ask every single guest on the show. It's just kind of a cool little personality question to see who will be at your round table. And the situation is that you're at a dinner table and you have three empty chairs right in front of you. Nobody is sitting in them and they can be anybody you choose alive or dead but they cannot be friends or family who is sitting okay. at the table with you. I feel like I've been asked this question before and then I'm like, Oh, or not like this specifically, but like, you know, Oh, who would you be, you know, meet up or whatever. Right. Um, man, I'm so bad on the spot and I'm going to go to bed and think of like 10 people, you know, <laughs> that's how it always is. I'll have people text me after the show and be like, man, you're like, I, yeah, this is I, really, <laughs> I really wish. Um, Okay, I'll I'll name. I just looked over. Um, Jocko Willink, love Jocko, love his stuff. Um, I know people who know him, but I don't know him personally, so he would definitely be at my table. Um, Jordan Peterson, I'm also massive fan of everything that Jordan does, and he is an incredible intellectual. So I would definitely have him at the table as well. Um, and then lastly, everybody might think this is weird, but I would love to talk to Hitler. <laughs> I feel like he's the, like <laughs> one of the most interesting people. Um, and I'm like fascinated with like Nazi history and all those kinds of things. So it's just so I've done like a lot of external reading on things like that. Just, um, and it's so fascinating how much the culture can change when certain things are in place. So, so I feel crazy. like. You were the third person to say that. And, and when you were talking, I literally, in my mind, you were like, man, who am I going to choose? Like, in my head, I literally go, well, it's not going to be Hitler because, <laughs> because other people have said that's literally what went through my mind. And then you say Hitler. That's too. That is, I know. So it's just, I don't know. Like, there's just um, it's so fascinating. Like, and I don't know. I've just always loved that kind of stuff. So I would say that all those people are interesting in their own right. So that would definitely be a really cool table. Um, and then maybe throw Gary Vee in there cause he has a lot of personality. So he'd like really spice it up, you know, yeah. um, and just be like loud and boisterous. So, and I don't, <laughs> he would just be like, you know, the crazy extrovert at the table. So <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. And if I think of anybody else later, I will definitely text you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's a very powerful table. Um, and Gary, that v is a powerful round table. <laughs> yeah. Gary V would definitely make that whole entire thing. Interesting. I think he would be the instigator between the conversation. So I love it. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. I was excited to have you on and I'm really glad we got to have you on here and drop some knowledge for everybody. Can you please just give everybody your um, social plugs, your website, like basically where everybody can find you, any like speaking engagements you have coming up that they may be interested in, um, anything that you want to say before you leave just so the listeners can go learn from you more. Yeah. um, So my website is www.teamlocofit.com. That's where you can find all the information about coaching on there we also um have the newsletter um subscription on there as well so you can just go to the top tab where it says subscribe it's completely free newsletter we've been putting out something once a week with all the different coaches uh so it's been a really cool platform that we started a few months ago Uh, my social media handles are all just my name lauren conlin l-a-u-r-i-n so i'm most active on instagram uh you know 
page and stories as well as my YouTube channel. Again, I've been trying to put out a video a week and there's a lot of old videos on there as well. So it's just, they're not fancy. They're just me talking, um, very educational. And I do have a good amount of speaking engagements coming up, but they're, a lot of them are booked out a little bit, you know, in advance. So I will be posting about all of that though on, you know, my social media. So I do have a few things coming up this year. So really excited to do more speaking. Um, so that's really my passion and my goal this year.